We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome in, everybody, to the CFB Nation All-America Podcast. My name is Bill Trochi, Senior Editor at SportingNews.com, alongside Bill Bender, the lead college football writer at SportingNews.com. And, uh, Bill, we are now 34 weeks away from week zero. The uh, the countdown is on. Are we getting uh, – is it too early for the countdown? Uh, I, I, like to, I like to keep doing it. I think I'm going to keep doing it. Yeah, you might as well. Um, you know, I'm always a, a fan of, you know, once you get into summer, like I like the day countdown once we get to 100. But, uh, you know, okay. there's obviously, as you know, the calendar never stops with college football. There's a lot uh, going on and always something to talk about, even in the middle of the NFL playoff rush. But, uh, yeah, definitely good to, to be back on. Speaking of the calendar, that's how we're going to start our show. I'm going to uh, lay out my new plan for the postseason calendar, which I spent a lot of time on, gave it a lot of thought, and I think I have uh, some uh, a good solution for the postseason uh, issue that faces college football as they try to shoehorn their playoff around the NFL playoffs, and uh, we'll, we'll get into that. We'll get into some news and notes. Bill O'Brien is heading back to the NFL. He's going to uh, go to the New England Patriots. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about Deion Sanders getting another five-star recruit, another five-star cornerback. Uh, he'll have two on his roster already at Colorado. And uh, we will get into some more news and notes here and there, Trochi trivia, and then uh, we'll have the trivia answer. I think I got you this week. We'll see. I don't know. Cool. But uh, let's go to the calendar. All right, the postseason calendar. Uh, the genesis of this idea in the column I wrote, I wrote it about two weeks ago on SportingNews.com, was that the national championship game for the second time in three years was lower rated than the semifinal games, which is an absurd statistic. And I looked up what happens with the Super Bowl and the NFL semifinals and then essentially the NFL final. Uh, it's more than doubled every year in terms of uh, TV ratings. Now, Super Bowl is a little different. I'm not saying it's not, but um, a semifinal should never outdistance a final, and it's happened two times in three years on the college scene. 
Some of it has to do with the, you know, obviously the game was not competitive this year. I acknowledge that. Uh, sometimes it's the, it's the matchups and the brands. I acknowledge that. But it should still, it's the national championship. It's your number one piece of uh, inventory. If you're looking at it as a college football, you know, someone who is in charge of, of um, these, mm-hmm. you know, the college football playoff and everything like that. So um, my idea once we get so that in 24 and 25, those two seasons, uh, there is no flexibility. The, the, the championship dates have been set and they have already announced that, you know, the, the, the Atlanta's uh, Mercedes-Benz Stadium has been booked for January 21st or something like that. Uh, but 2026 is a blank slate. All right. It's t- 2026. We don't know where the quarterfinals are going to be, where the first round is going to be, when the championship's going to be, where the championship's going to be, uh, what channels the games are going to be on, what networks. It's all a blank slate. And so this is why I brought it up now, you know, with the hope that somehow, some way we can get this thing organized. So college football fans and just sports fans in general who don't follow college football closely have a better understanding of when the games are in the postseason because it's very confusing to people who aren't inside the sport as it is now. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. I think in 24 and 25, the second and third rounds, or sorry, the semifinals are going to be held on a Thursday and Friday night in the middle of the leading into, I think, either week 18 or the wild card round of the NFL. But the college is not going to challenge the NFL on Saturday and Sunday. And that makes sense. I understand. I don't want to challenge the NFL. Starting in 2026, when we have an opportunity to redo this whole thing and not shoehorn it around um, the NFL, I want to back it up, Bill. I want to back mm-hmm. up the whole season. I want I, w- I want college administrators to 
take the college football playoff, figure out what's best for the college football playoff, and then work everything around that. All right. What, what I feel like they do is the regular season is the regular season, and then we're trying to work the college football playoff where we can, and the bowls and this and that. And everything takes priority except the CFP. If the CFP was the priority, let's start with that. And I think the day that college football has owned forever and still owns, really, is January 1st. Mm-hmm. That's the day I want the national championship game. That's the day I think you can maximize your exposure, maximize uh, everything about it. And so if you s- agree that January 1st generally gets super ratings for college football, and if it was a national championship game, they would be through the roof, how do you get there? How do you end this 12-team tournament on January 1st? And basically, you need to get three rounds of football in before January 1st. So how are you going to do that? Well, I looked at the first three Saturdays in December, and I say that that's when you can play your first three rounds of the tournament. And if that means that they're not doing bowl games and everybody has to fly here, there, and everywhere, if they're however much is going to be on campus, I mean, that's an open discussion. I think both are viable if you use that calendar of the first three Saturdays in December. Uh, but to me, the advantages are it's very clear. Everyone understands when the games are. They're on Saturday in December. You know, right. people have conditioned for th- three months that college football is on Saturday in September and October and November. Well, let's just keep going through December. College football stays on Saturday, first Saturday, second Saturday, third Saturday. Now, that gets you done before Christmas. Uh, you, the semifinals are done before Christmas, and now you've got a little bit of a buildup up through January 1st. And then the time in between Christmas and New Year's, you have your media days, you have your, you're going to own the sports conversation. Right now, the college football semifinals and, and the finals, they don't own the conversation. The NFL still owns the conversation. Uh, week 18 and then Black Monday and the playoff setup and the wild card weekend, like the college football is going to take, is going to be second banana to all of that, where if they, try to own the month of December like college basketball owns the month of March. That's the best way to do it. Right. So I threw yeah. a lot of, I threw a lot at you and then uh, we'll, we'll get into the regular season in a second, but what are your thoughts on trying to squeeze the three rounds in the first three Saturdays of December and then the national championship on January 1st? Well, that's what every other division does. I mean, that's what they're going to have to do if they, want to win they're, they're never going to beat the nfl after january 1st you're really never going to beat the nfl after christmas honestly unless you like you say go all in on january 1st um i mean you saw the nfl triple hitter on christmas and the numbers that dolphins packers did um you're just not going to beat the nfl starting in week 18 and you mentioned the semis doing well of course they did well they were good matchups but I, they also need to and they were also on a Saturday. Right. Yeah, the and championship was, on a Monday night is a disaster. It's not a disaster. It's just tough to – because most people – like I, the last two years in particular, because the NFL weekend has bounced back, you've gone from an NFL Sunday week 18 to the championship game Monday, and it's almost like the championship game has been a consolation prize. Also, college football is trying to move from – we. it is a national sport, but it's still regionally based. I, I I would, you know, like I go off Big Ten. You know, I live in Big Ten country. I'm going to be honest with you, Bill. None of my friends cared about Georgia TCU. 
Not one. But they'll sit there and watch 49ers Cowboys. But they'll watch it on January 1st. They might. But I mean, that's there's the, nothing else on on January 1st. Better chance of them watching it on January 1st than on a Monday night with TCU and Georgia. And that's yeah. the problem with hopefully the 12 team playoff makes this a national sport once and for all, because that's the difference between the NFL. That's what I always say. Like, you can't, I'll sit and watch, my buddies will watch Chiefs Jaguars, they'll watch Eagles Giants, and they'll watch it all the way through. They're not going to sit and watch. Alabama Clemson because that's they they you need to make people you need to try to make them care by bringing the whole country and just like SEC fans aren't going to sit there and they weren't all excited about a Michigan Ohio State title game because they probably would have tuned out and you were at the media day out in LA this year that 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 thing got no attention nationally you know it was great for the reporters to be able to you know get background for their reporting for the game and things like that but it is is nowhere near the attention that the Super Bowl media day gets. And it should right. be a, at least a fraction of it. Uh, but it's held on a Saturday right before it. Well, there's NFL games going on and then there's an NFL Sunday the next day and nothing really comes out of that. I mean, I was at the semifinal media day for the peach bowl that got a little more attention again, because it was December 29th, 30th, 31st, NFL was not competing at that point. It's, you know, the, the week between Christmas and New Year's, it's a vacation week for a lot of people. They're off work, and it's traditionally when the big bulls are held, and people are used to that. And uh, so I think that would be an important part of it, too. I think, you know, the, the ticket demand would be strong because, again, it's a, it's a, it's a vacation week. People travel. Right. And, uh, you know, so I think – it's just I, tough. It's at 24 I, and 25. They're going to have the semifinals on Thursday, Friday, and the championship on Monday. That is just not treating your most important inventory as the number one priority. And I like that it, you know, one of the things that got brought up a lot about Michigan and Jim Harbaugh and his bull record is, and this goes back to like the 60s and Bo, is they don't play well after a five-week layoff. Oh, well, yeah, that makes sense. Like, now you don't have that five-week layoff. Now you're just playing. And maybe – the you know that bye week would mean more then because if you're getting like in the nfl the home field advantage thing makes sense so yeah i I think it's you've got a good calendar it makes too much sense so they're not going to do it (laughs) um i think pushing the title game back to january 20th and january 19th which we're which we're going to have in a few years is it's going to be tough it's going to be tough to compete with the beast that's the NFL. And I know I get that they're trying to logistically do it. And I know what the CFP committee is doing and I hope they make it work. But I mean, I, I, I know that from writing experience, like you, we've talked about it where I'm like, well, you know, nobody's paying attention to this because you know, these two NFL teams are trying to get a playoff berth and that's just reality. So in order to make this work, obviously the, the first Saturday in December right now is championship weekend. So this would entail moving championship weekend to thanksgiving weekend okay and you had you could still do the same calendar of friday night pack 12 saturday all the rest of the big ones and things like that thanksgiving's a big football weekend um thursday still going to be the nfl obviously but friday and saturday have traditionally been college football days on thanksgiving weekend so to hold these big important 
championship games, which they are going to be more important with the new format and the automatic bids and things like that, I think actually that may raise the profile of college football over Thanksgiving weekend. Even though you're moving Alabama-Auburn, even though you're moving Michigan-Ohio State to one week before on like November whatever 20th instead of 27th or whatever the date is, I don't think it takes too much away from those traditional robberies. It's just a week earlier. Um, and we'll still have the, the late feel, the late season feel, the importance and things like that. So how are you going to keep moving it back? Well, my idea is to move it back, move the start of the regular season back to mid-August and have right now the college football traditionally opens on Labor Day weekend, which is the first Saturday in September. NFL is starts the second weekend in September. So college football gets all of the attention on Labor Day weekend. It's great for college football. They usually have some great matchups. We spread it out over Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. College football does, you know, um, gets all the attention. Like I said, the NFL is just wrapping up its preseason. And uh, week that's the only weekend of the year, except for really January 1st, that college football has the stage to itself. What if we tacked on two weeks prior to that and we start the college football season in, you know, two, the third week of August, right? And so you have three weekends to yourself. You got the third Saturday in August, the fourth Saturday in August, and Labor Day weekend. All to yourself after a summer of people starving <laughs> for college football or football in general. I think that would do wonders for the sport. What's your, what's your, what's your objection to that? What's, what, are the, what issues do you see here in that type of shift from moving the calendar back in order to to hit that right. December thing. The coaches won't like it because they like that fall camp to to prep. You know, they'll they'll complain that it's earlier and earlier. Um you know, my solution's always been you could lop off one regular season game, which they won't do. Um <laughs> and because of the money and the TV, or you could lop off the conference championship games, which they won't do. So if you're good that eventually you're right. They probably will push the season back when they figure out that this model that they have isn't gonna work. Um Thanksgiving weekend's gonna be a tough sell because they do like marrying that to rivalry week and it still did well going up against the world cup this year. So, you know, I, I think, <laughs> and they like, they like, they did. Yeah. I mean, that was subtle, right? Some we sporting, remember that some sporting news staffers might know what I'm talking <laughs> about there, but um, the uh, um, yeah. So I think that, that make bumping up the calendar does make sense. Do I think they'll do it? Probably not. They do like owning labor day because it's the one week that they own before the NFL takes over. And um Right. I'm just thinking more of a good thing. Um, well, reminder that the NFL is just taking over the entire calendar, too. I mean, they've taken Christmas from the NBA. They'll take they're like the Grinch, dude. They'll take all of it. If that, And that's the thing. You can plan all this, but then the NFL will probably find a way. I mean, they started playing on Saturdays late in the season. So I've always said the college football and the NFL should work together, but don't count on that. Um, yeah, so. The um, there is a, a law actually that the NFL cannot have Saturday games until the college football season is over. That is, there is actual legislature back in the sixties or so. That's why they have not taken over uh, Saturdays until uh, December rolls around or whatever. So yeah, the the initial rumble, rumblings that I have heard 
is that in 2026, they are going to make week zero week one for everybody. Okay. That makes sense. And they are going to try to have the semifinals on January 1st. And they're going to have the final in January 9th or 10th or whatever. So it's still too close to the NFL. I don't like it. It's the, the semifinals are still going to outrate the final or potentially because they're going to find out that January 1st is the best day for college football. Right. And yeah, the hearing that a doubleheader on January 1st sounds great, but you're, it's going to take away from your championship game. So that is the two, and they're still going to have that long layoff and everything like that. But that I heard Stuart Mandel talking about it on his podcast that he has heard at least for 26 when they mm-hmm. have a chance to move it, that they're going to try to have two rounds in December, semifinals on January 1st, and then the championship game 10 days later or whatever, uh, whatever, mm-hmm. wherever the NFL isn't already <laughs> right, already uh, uh, scheduled. So anyway, that's my discussion. I'm uh, passionate about it. I hope it uh, some version of it comes to fruition at some point, but I'm going to keep banging that drum for a long time. All right, you ready for some Trochi trivia? Sure. Jalen Hurts won a playoff game for the Eagles. It sparked a little discussion on Twitter that it was the first Alabama quarterback to win an NFL playoff game since Richard Todd back in the day with the Jets in the 1980s. And then there was a discussion whether or not he was an Oklahoma quarterback, whether he was an Alabama quarterback, et cetera, et cetera. You and I talked about when's the last time an Ohio State quarterback won an NFL playoff game. And you told me it was Mike Tomzak. Mm-hmm. My question for you, my Trochi trivia question, who's the last Notre Dame quarterback to win an NFL playoff game? Answer to come. The last Notre Dame quarterback to win an NFL playoff game. Mull that one over while we Mm -hmm. go through some news and notes around the country. So today it came out that uh, Bill O'Brien back to the Patriots. He is uh, leaving Alabama after two years. um, And he uh, did a good job with the, with the Crimson Tide coming over from the Houston Texans. He, um, uh, the, for his first year as offensive coordinator, Alabama was number six in the nation with 39.9 points per game and number four in, uh, sorry, and number six in points per game, 16 in yards per play. And then this year they were fourth in the nation in scoring and eighth in yards per play. So two great seasons for, for Bill O'Brien. He's ready to, uh, to move on and he is going to coach Mac Jones. He did not coach Mac Jones at Alabama. Mac Jones was there in 2020. O'Brien came in in 2021. They briefly crossed paths as Jones was preparing for the NFL draft and and, and Bill O'Brien, you know, was hired in January or whatever. So, uh, but that, you know, they have not, he's not coached him like during the season. So that, that'll be uh, interesting to track on the NFL side that leaves Alabama now. And Nick Saban needs to replace two coordinators, of course, because defensive coordinator Pete Golding is off to Ole Miss. So, uh, Bill, where does this leave Alabama and Nick uh, Nick Saban uh, heading into the offseason? I mean, he's, he's nailed most of the offensive coordinator hires. Uh, this is obviously there's going to be pressure. I remember the lap we were talking about this before we came on, that the last time they really felt pressure to nail these was um, after they lost to Clemson the second time. 
you know, I remember talking to the late Cecil Hurd about this and he said, you know, that that's the pressure point there. You could, the dynasty's not over, but there's some small cracks. And then Nick Saban changed some things, made some great hires. Steve Sarkeesian was his best offensive coordinator hire because it really straightened out some things. And Lane did a good job. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, Bill O'Brien was quality. Not, I wouldn't say great. I would just say he did a good job. Um, so that, you know, the, the rumors now are anywhere from Kingsbury to Levy. And uh, there's going to be a lot of pressure on this group of coordinators because like i've been telling people oh that drought could reach a grand total of three years and they've never gone three years without a national title with nick saban so whoever steps in you know i think these this is the toughest coordinator position in college football it's because you're immediately known and you're only known if alabama loses like nobody said like nobody's like man sarkeesian was awesome and i've never heard anybody say that like but he actually was he definitely was. I mean, that 2020 offense was incredible. Um, he had a lot to work with, and you've got a lot to work with, and there are, are high expectations. Um, and like I said, you know, Bill O'Brien, they were top 10 in, in the nation in scoring two years in a row. Uh, you should be able to win at Alabama like that, and they have won, of course, but um, they are still looking for, their, uh, for another national championship. Uh, any chance – he looks internally for either of these. Uh, Jim Leonard is another name I've kind of seen uh, bouncing around uh, for the defensive side, but you see any guys on the staff maybe that he would elevate. Traditionally he doesn't elevate, although he has a Loxley, right. Was, was elevated uh, internally. Um, So anyone on staff that grabs your, grabs your attention. No, I think, I think they're they're going outside outside. this one. And, yep. and, you know, a couple of the NFL candidates, I think, you know, one name I was reading a list of offense coordinator candidates, one name that caught my attention was like, yeah, I could see him going for Jason Garrett. I mean, mm. Garrett's name was getting tossed around a little bit because he likes those guys with a little bit of an NFL background or does he go the Kingsbury route and just that's the way college football is. Levy is another excellent choice. The defensive one's more important, I think. I think whoever gets it offense coordinator, they'll make it work. The defensive one, that was the problem last year, was the secondary and the, the the holding penalties and the uncharacteristic amount of penalties. So whoever they bring in as their next defensive coordinator, I think that's the more important of the two, at least in this case. And the one thing I would say is neither of these are catching him off guard. I mean, I think he kind of shuffled Golding out the door. So he kind of knew – that the defensive side was going to open up. And I think Bill O'Brien has made no secret that he was ready to move on as well. And Patriots have been a mess. And that was a logical place for him to to land. They didn't have an offensive coordinator lined up all season. And, and uh, you could tell. Um, so one thing, like I said, I don't, I don't think that neither of these are, are catching Nick Saban off guard. And uh, we'll just kind of see where that goes from there. Um more news and notes. Deion Sanders back in the news. He signed the uh, number 12 rated recruit, the number one cornerback in the country, uh, Cormani McLean, former Miami commit. He's from Florida. Uh, he uh, was supposed to sign with Miami, and he just didn't sign with them. It was a surprise uh, during the early signing period. He kind of let it play out, play out last week. He committed to Colorado, so he will sign in the February signing period. 
Um, and now it's two years in a row. Dion has signed the number one cornerback in the country. Uh, if you're a Colorado fan, that couldn't play out any better, could it? Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Oh, and I, you know, I looked this up last night that the last time a top, okay, so I'm going to start this at the top. As, as as you know, I'm a Packers fan. And when guys draft corners, I'm like, if he's not an SEC guy, I don't care. Like I want, <laughs> like when they drafted Eric Stokes, I was like, Georgia check. Like there's something about SEC corners that that's what I want. That's, that's what I want when, as an NFL fan. So I looked, and the last time the top corner in the country didn't go to an SEC school before Dion was 2017 when Ohio State got Jeffrey Okuda. I may have been 18, actually. But point being, yeah, no, 17. Okuda went to Ohio State. Very good corner. To get two in a row and, and to have them go to, to Colorado is, well, Jackson State, then Colorado, it's pretty amazing. And, and again, it, it just goes to show that Dion best corner I've ever seen in my life that I mean like cover corner there's not a better one and I think that's what attracts the recruits and it may not attract the 17 year old kid but his dad knows everybody knows how good Dion was I mean I mean I got down in a wormhole looking at his stats I mean he had nine pick sixes and nine punt returns in the NFL that three pick sixes three punt returns in college he's the most one of the most exciting football players ever, and he obviously knows how to teach that position. So, I mean, and then flipping McLean from Miami, I mean, nobody thought that he was not going to play in the state of Florida. I think that's the biggest coup of all. Yeah, he's he flipped uh, Travis Hunter from Florida State, and now he's flipped a guy from Miami. Um, it's just going to make the Pac-12, which is my like, you know. My favorite conference that I guess isn't the SEC, uh, uh, even more fun. I mean, just every program there, Arizona State, I was talking to you earlier about Arizona State. They have like 25 transfers coming in. They have a full recruiting class. They have a 30-something-year-old first-time coach. They're going to be fascinating to watch. And they're like right. eighth on the pecking order in, in, in Pac-12, uh, you know, interesting interesting schools to track and stuff. So, yeah, so keep an eye on, on uh, Colorado, uh, supposedly. Colorado's in the uh, Jaden Rashada sweepstakes. Who knows how that goes? Uh, Florida released Jaden Rashada, the quarterback, of course, from his uh, from his NLI after his NIL deal fell through. Uh, he was, you know, reportedly promised thirteen million dollars over four years and different incentives and this and that. And the offer uh, was rescinded. Rashada 
is now looking around. He, he's out of his uh, national letter of intent, uh, even though he signed it in the early signing period. He took a visit to Arizona State, as we just mentioned, uh, last weekend. He's planning a visit to TCU this weekend. And uh, I think, um, like I said, Colorado is going to be in the mix on that one, too. And then so one part of it is the Rashada situation. The other part is Florida. Now they've got they're left with Wisconsin transfer Graham Mertz and Jack Miller right now as their two quarterbacks. Um, you got any thoughts either on Rashada or, or where Florida picks up the pieces from here? Yeah, um, you know, it's – well, let's start with the Rashada part. I looked up Kenny Pickett's contract, four years, $14 million in the NFL, <laughs> and a, a guy that hasn't thrown a pass. This is a, the the pressure point for me, though, is like what at what point are we correcting the market? Like a high school quarterback, I'm sorry, he's not worth what Kenny Pickett is to the Steelers. That would be like me getting more money at the student newspaper at Ohio University than I did my first two jobs. That would be absurd. And I know it's that's a poor comparison because you're you're dealing with professional athletes here, but it's not. I mean, why would you pay a quarterback that hasn't thrown a pass thirteen million dollars? I think it's absurd. So um, now the Florida end of it's interesting because they maybe that's because they're desperate to get the quarterback play where they're at. If you look at their last two seasons, their quarterbacks have combined for forty four touchdowns and twenty seven picks. Uh, Kyle Trask in twenty twenty had forty three touchdowns and eight picks. So they do need you do need the elite quarterback there. They they struck Anthony Richardson had up and ups and downs. There was a week there where we thought he was a first round pick. I just I'm not seeing it because of the inconsistency in the passing game. So I don't know. I don't know where the soap opera with uh, Rashada goes, Bill. But I mean, my sticking point is man, when you look at a quarterback that could be making more money than the first quarterback taken in the NFL draft, I just think that's a problem. And how much do you hold Billy Napier accountable? Because, of course, you know, quote unquote, the coaches don't have anything to do with the collectives and the collectives don't have anything to do with the athletic department. We all know that's not true. They are working together. They are talking to each other. Um, Does he need to get a better handle on his collectives? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I don't again, this is this gray area because I, I. when I get asked about NIL and and where it's going, I always say, you know, you hope the market corrects itself. And it's such a cliched line at this point, because I know in my head for the market to correct itself, you have to take away boosters and emotional fans and people that do irrational things in college football. It's not like the NFL where they fix the rookie salary stuff. They fixed, you know, they go in, they fix things because it's professional business. So, yeah, you tell me when there's not going to be an irrational college booster out there trying to make his program better, and I'll that will never happen. <laughs> so this is how these – let me add on that, an irrational booster in the state of Florida. Good luck. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, you know, it's one of those things where, yeah, Billy Napier and, and some of the coaches, I think that needs to be part of the equation because this has become a real – a black eye for Florida. Right. And a black eye for the sport and a black eye on that kid too. It's going to be right. tough for him to shake, shake this story that is going to trail him wherever he ends up. Do you so, think he'll make $14 million in the NFL? And as like, you're, that's the pressure point now is like, you have to be good enough to be a first round pick. And I, you know, again, not to get too sidetracked on this, but I remember when they were talking about CJ Stroud and 
Ohio State might get enough in a collective. No, he's going to the NFL, dude. He's the top five pick. Like, and that's the right decision. So, you know, when when the quarterbacks in college start making more than the quarterbacks in the NFL, it's not good for the sport. No, no. Um, two other things just want to touch on real quick that uh, happened in, uh, since our last podcast. Georgia wide receiver Rodarius Thomas was arrested uh, on a, a felony charge of false imprisonment and misdemeanor battery family violence. Uh, he was Mississippi State's leading receiver last year, just transferred to Georgia uh, over the semester break. So he's, he has not been with the program long. Uh, but that is one to keep an eye on. He is expected, along with the Missouri wide receiver, to be one of their more productive guys. So we'll kind of just see where that uh, where that goes uh, in the coming weeks. And then, uh, of course, Michigan ended up firing uh, off co-offensive coordinator Matt Weiss. He was under investigation, accused of computer access crimes, which is rather vague, um, but... Uh, they were committed at Schembechler Hall from December 21 to 23, which lines up with the early signing period. Do not know how those two things relate. They have to be related in some some form or fashion. Uh, nothing has quite come out on that. Presumably, Sharon Moore will not have a co-coordinator. Do you have any any news and notes on, on Michigan? Well, we'll find out. I mean, I, I don't know that right now that they're – going to look for another offensive coordinator i know brian mm-hmm. greasy's name was being tossed around as a potential mm-hmm. with the work that he's done with the 49ers i think it'd be interesting to see what the details are on weiss and, and how where that story goes but i would count on sharon moore being the offensive coordinator um and they should be in good hands there were a lot of talk when harbaugh was looking at the nfl that moore might just slide in as head coach and i think he's on his way to being a head coach so as bizarre as this story is, I think, you know, I just still look at the talent coming back on that roster. They're going to be fine. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Uh, one topic you wanted to touch on this week, right? The Ohio State wide receiver. There was a there was a tweet with a photo of uh, Marvin Harrison Jr., Chris Olave, Jackson Smith, Najigba, and Garrett Wilson all sitting on the bench in Ohio State uniforms, asking. Is this the greatest wide receiver, a collection of college wide receivers at one time? And you have an answer, and it's not Ohio State. No, I mean, you know, Alabama's going to counter with Ruggs and Smith and Waddle and Judy and that loaded one. And then LSU's going to say, well, I think I'll, I'll qualify it with this. The best one-two receiver punch in recent history is Jamar Jason Chase. And Jefferson. Just, that's not close. Those guys, and they got Burrow on top of it where I was like, a couple of years ago, we were watching three potential NFL Hall of Famers. <laughs> so that's the winner of the one-two. Now, if we're going whole room, I, I always default to this story, and I apologize if I've already told it on this podcast. I played against a guy in high school that played at Rutgers in, back in the Big East days, and he described it. He played safety, and he described it to me as this. He said, in one of my first games in college, Miami was, was in a trip set with Reggie Wayne, and Santana Moss, and Andre Johnson. So, <laughs> And if you look on what – so that year, Andre Johnson didn't have a huge year that year. Those three guys have combined for – Reggie Wayne at 82. They, these guys were all 10,000-yard receivers in the NFL. In the NFL. <laughs> Not in college, in the NFL. So don't come at me with uh, – high State, great receiver room. Gotcha. Alabama, wonderful. Get back with me in a decade when you say – 
We have three guys that went for 10,000 yards and <laughs> – 152 plus 66 touchdowns. And on top of that, Jeremy Shockey's the tight end. Right. <laughs> was, so, yeah, you're that's the room. And on top of that, when they weren't throwing the ball, they were handing off to Clinton Portis and Willis McGahee and Frank Gore. So don't, like, when people tweet these things, and this is history that's happened in the late eight years, just go all the way back to 2000, as ancient history as that is. <laughs> And that's the best receiver room I've ever seen. Um, and and they even had Daryl Jones and Andre King, who were little-known guys. They were seventh-round picks. Another one I wanted to mention, too, not as good, but maybe fun and maybe faster, was Florida State at one time had Peter Warwick, mm-hmm. Ron D- Dugans, Lavernius Coles, who's one of the fastest players in NFL history, Snoop Menace, and Anquan Bolden. Oh, man. <laughs> so I was like, and Peter Wark was the best player in college football that year. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe unless Michael Vick was. But those two stand out. Not, taking nothing away from Ohio State. But in 10 years, if we're like Harrison and Olave and Jigba and Wilson, Wilson. are all 10,000-yard receivers, I'll take it back. But that's the best receiver room I've ever seen. Right, right. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, they've got the potential for sure. And, uh, you know, of course, Jalen Waddle's off to a great start in the NFL. Devontae Smith, he's still playing with the Eagles, doing great. Um, so we'll see what those guys can do, too. All right, Bill, trivia answer. Who is the last Notre Dame quarterback to win an NFL playoff game? I mean, I only have two answers. So I think Joe Montana's the answer. Because so Montana is not the answer. Then if it's not, it's the only other guess I would have would be Steve Berline. Steve Berline is correct. Steve Berline it's, won a playoff game in 1991. So he, won a game as a he was replacing an injured Troy Aikman with the Dallas Cowboys, and they beat the Bears. Uh and uh and uh, they lost the next week to the Detroit Lions. Which is Detroit's I feel I think, like only he was playoff also on, ever. He he was on the Panthers, but I don't know that he started when they like he was on their team when they won right. a playoff game, but he didn't start. I think Kerry Collins did. So Steve yep. Berline, yeah, like if you've got to go back that far. Incredible. That's isn't a drought. It? That is a drought. And he only won one. So yeah, so the answer to the question of the last Notre Dame quarterback to win more than one playoff game. Of course, it's Joe Montana. So, well, I think, then, are we sure that, like, so Berline, what year? Yeah, yeah that's got to be right because Montana was close because that's where I got confused is Montana won some playoff games with the Chiefs, but that must have been the season before Berline won with the Cowboys. I knew those two that it could be, though. Right, right. So, all right. Uh, that should do it. This is, this is, uh, this is my final podcast in this little studio here. I'm, uh, I'm moving Friday to a, a house just just up the road. Still still going to be here in Atlanta, uh, but I won't be in a basement. I won't be freezing anymore. I don't think during these podcasts. So uh, we'll, uh, you don't know what freezing is. You don't know what a cold <laughs> basement is. Trevor being in a cold basement, in Ohio. We will uh, we will rejoin you next week. I should be in a new setting. I'll set up my my little little uh, podcast studio, and uh, we will talk some more college football. So thank you again, everybody for listening this week, and uh, we will see you next week on the CFB Nation All-America Podcast.